McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Poppy fans, and welcome to the O4 Cars episode 92. Well, it's four points from six since we last spoke, and Pompey are in the autos. Joining me in the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm doing very well, thank you, Hugh. It's lovely to be back on as usual, and it's it's even better that Portsmouth are playing incredibly well and are finally in the automatic promotion places. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a joy to follow this team and to report on it. And we all love doing this podcast, but I tell you people listening to it, it is a lot more fun doing it when Pompey are playing well. Oh, absolutely. Easy. easy. I, I, I hate talking about when Portsmouth are shit and lose all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why would you, eh? Why would you? All right, let's get into it. So first of all, we are going to review the game against Ipswich. Following on from that, we're going to review the less exciting game against Fleetwood. Then we've got an interview with Catherine Batty from the Male Sport, who's also a massive Hull City fan. So an actual journalist on here, Freddie, to uh, preview that game for us. Freddie, let's get into it. Ipswich, what a game that was. I'm going to say that that was a total performance. Do you agree? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Probably one of the most complete performances of the season. I didn't think anybody had a bad game. If the Ipswich defenders were frightened of Pompey players pressing hard in the first half, and they stayed on top of them. And and I'll tell you about the front four. The front four were excellent today. And really, Marquis is probably the only main striker. If you look at it, if you watch Williams, Harness, and Curtis's movement off the ball, they were moving into the channels, finding their space, linking up very well, very fluid, which is not something you can say about a Portsmouth team in recent seasons. And it's just didn't like that at all. And it was only 2 0 in the end, but Portsmouth could have had three or four. Yeah, it could have been three or four, definitely. We'll get on to, in the second half, talk about those chances that cannoned off the bar. But let's start with a man himself. The, the the guy who, when you need a goal, you turn to. That's right. The Australian wizard, or the Wizard of Oz, as Neil Allen said about him. Ryan Williams, he's been in the right places. He gets, he creates little chances where you think he's going to score now, he's going to square it, he's going to get an assist, and it hasn't worked out for him. But this game... He put all the doubters to bed in this one game and he goes, right, he finishes two really good opportunities. Ryan Williams, is this the start of a scoring prodigy? Yeah, um, he had an, he had an excellent game. Made made my chat about XG actually stand up with his, with his scoring goals today. Um, he gets it. He, he was, he's been very frustrating last season and this season of getting it, of looking excellent off the ball, looking great in the dribble, beating players getting into all the right spaces but not setting up uh, setting up any goals or scoring them and but this game 
he had probably his best game in a Portsmouth shirt. And it's easy to say that about any player who scores a brace. But if you look at the first goal from the quick throw forward, Williams's link-up play with Harness was excellent. Little through ball. Harness had already beaten his full-back and was looking to put the low cross in. But if you watch Ryan Williams on the edge of the penalty area, making a diagonal run back into the penalty area, the Ipswich centre-half was nowhere. And then that low cross comes straight into John Marcus that puts in the perfect set-up ball with his side foot. And Ryan Williams, all he has to do is pick out the corner, which he did, and it was an excellent finish by him. And you talked about John Marcus then laying the ball up for him. John Marcus had such an underrated game, didn't he, of how, how well he played in that sense. Because when you're a striker, your natural instinct is you get it in the box, you're just going to get that ball on net, no matter the quality necessarily of the chance. But Marcus is so much in the zone, I thought, playing in this game, that he just had that natural intuition to know that Williams has made that little run and that he had a better percentage chance of scoring that goal if he laid it back. Absolutely, yeah. John Marcus had an excellent game. Excellent game. Even though even though some are looking at it and think, oh shit, John Marcus hasn't scored in a few games. No, he's playing exceptionally well. He's more than a poacher that some of the other teams have. He's still not bad at winning balls in the air, if that's the case. He's a handful for the centre-half. And his link-up play is really good. It's really, really good now. It's, uh, that's improved a lot. And you can tell because the fluidity of that front four with Curtis, Harness and Williams, they all want to get into goal-scoring opportunities or create for each other. And you need to have that link-up play for, for that to work. And he's done exceptionally well. That uh, he's, He did that little set-up pass with his side foot twice in this game. Uh, laying off to Ronan Curtis very well and he canned a shot from outside the area onto the bar and yeah it, it, with Marquis linking up play like that then I think Porcel would be fine going forward all season Yeah and you could point to points out for all those front four really of you know they could have had outstanding contributions you had Harness then putting the ball in the box it ends up for the first Williams goal the second one, you look at Ronan Curtis, the ball gets lofted up into the air, it comes down from where it seems like out of space. And Ronan Curtis jumps, he wins that header, the little flick on against the centre-back, which produces the ball for Ryan Williams to get the second goal for him as well. Could have had a goal himself in that game as well, as we just said that Marcus just teased the ball up for him. Curtis hits the ball absolutely beautifully and it flies towards the goal, cannons off the bar, half an inch underneath that and, it, and it's a goal as well. So he could have a goal and an assist to his name there. Marcus really could have had a goal as well. The ball comes into the box from a free kick, I think it was. It's a beautiful delivery by, by Lee Brown and John Marcus gets his head on it, keepers nowhere and again it, it cannons off the bar. So he then could have had a goal um, and two assists there as well. So you look at that, that front four and it's so dynamic with the way they're interchanging as well. At the start of the season, you had John Marquez on his own up front, huffing and puffing around and, you know, fair play to him, really putting that effort in to try and create something. Now Pompey looked like a different team. They looked like a dynamic attacking side, particularly in this game. It's night and day, isn't it? You can look back to last season, at the beginning of this season in the 4 2 3 one this, side's, this side is above and beyond that. I know Kenny Jackett keeps on saying, oh, it's not the formation change, it's not the tactical changes that have made this game, it was the belief in the players, blah, blah, blah. That's rubbish. <laughs> the tactical setup with this side now makes this side 10 times better and you are getting the most out of your attacking players. And, and considering that's where Portsmouth's strengths are this season, that is the way that Portsmouth are going to get promoted. If you look, if you look for the second goal, you don't expect Curtis to win that ball. 
And if your winger is able to outjump a set, uh, an Ipswich centre half and head the ball down to Ryan Williams, who, who whose finish was credit was credited by Guy Whittingham, you wouldn't be able to say that last season. Williams wouldn't have been in that position. He would have been on the byline, or Mark, or whenever a cross comes in like that low cross for the first goal by Harness, there'd be just one player in the box rather than the three players in the box creating space for themselves, stretching that Ipswich defence and Portsmouth are exceptional in this game. I'm very proud of the team. Massively. And, and I think the when I was previewing the Ipswich game and I spoke to, to Benjamin there um, from the Ipswich podcast, he said to me that Ipswich always fail against the teams in the top six above them. They can't get their game going. If Pompey can win the ball in the centre of midfield and establish their press, Ipswich are going are gonna to absolutely fall apart, he was thinking. He actually predicted a 1-0 win for Pompey. So, and people, close, tend to be a little bit, people tend to be a little bit biased towards their team as well. So that, that sort of shows where Ipswich fans are. But you know, no discredit to us because we did establish that. Tom Naylor and Andy Cannon looked excellent in the centre of midfield. They got the ball forward quickly. They won the ball back in the middle. Ipswich didn't know what to do with it in the centre of the park, just sort of passing sideways. No attacking intent going forward. No, That's no. due to Pompey's structure in the centre of the You park. could tell that by the boos from the fans. Everybody would have heard that. And Paul Lambert after the game, they're saying that the team deserved nothing in their local paper. The, the, the booing was it was repetitive throughout that second half, especially when, when uh, Drinan came on for Caden Jackson. They were yeah. absolutely furious that Caden Jackson came off because uh, he on his day, he, he looks like a dynamic forward whether on the ring or up front they didn't like the fact that uh, the ex-Pompey Ollie Hawkins came on either they absolutely despised that so you now know how a lot of Pompey fans feel to be honest Ipswich are like ports of what, what ports of were last season except they don't create as many chances and their players aren't as good so I don't see them I see them maybe being around the playoffs simply because of the uh, money they're putting into their players one of the stats that was interesting from that game that stood out to me, because in terms of, um, we were saying about how, how Cannon and Naylor mopped up very well and uh, kept Portsmouth in possession with the pressing, the duels for that game were very even in terms of the amounts and the and the success rate and so on. The crossing accuracy says it all, really, with Pompey having 54% crossing success rate, which you've never said about a Portsmouth side under Kenny Jacket, compared to Ipswich's 16.6%, and that is where they get their goals from. They, uh, uh, Even though they were a bad team today, Portsmouth were excellent. It shouldn't take anything away from the performance. And yeah, these are the sorts of wins that Portsmouth need to get. They're getting the wins against, uh, the, against playoff contenders now, which is very encouraging. Yeah, massively. And you see with the the movement up front, I actually think, and the way that players are a little bit more fluid, interchanging, making those runs is actually also another reason why the crossing percentages have improved because there's actually options in the middle. So it's not just try and get that ball lofted in as soon as you can. John Marquis might be in the middle. It's actually a lot more targeted now. People know what they're doing. And I've got to say the fullback's delivery has been a lot better as well. Johnson had a very good game. Mm. I like Johnson. Brown had a very good game as well. And uh, they were sensible. They were going forward at the right time. They weren't just bombing forward aimlessly, which is what a lot of fans want. It was considered. It was reserved. They bombed forward when the winger was turning inside towards the byline. It, 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 it was a great, perfect performance. And uh, 
The only thing that made me happy was the fact that XG got on Express FM. So they talked about that at halftime, which obviously makes me very happy being a stats nerd, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that was that was enough of a reason, wasn't it, for you to go out on the town and discard all these social distancing rules? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, 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 I was hammering back the trebles, obviously, which we have up north. <laughs> yeah, obviously not. On that, uh, on, the, on that XG point, which I may, yeah. it was mentioned that this season, Ryan Williams's XG was 2.61 compared to Harness's 2.93, but he gets more XG per 90, which basically means roughly uh, he has higher quality shooting chances than Harness does. So, for example, his is 0.18 per 90 compared to Harness's 0.14. That's in all competitions before the Fleetwood game, according to Y Scout, if you want to have a look at where those stats are from. But obviously, Harness has eight or nine goals. Obviously, because even though he's not getting quality shooting chances, so how accurate they were, he's scoring them because he's a great player. Think of that Burton goal where he teed it off to himself through the legs and chipped it over the keeper. Not everybody's going to score that goal. And how often do players score those goals? And if you want a, a visual indicator of what XG looks like, Ryan Williams' second goal, the goal where he was basically one-on-one with the keeper and kicked the ball into the ground underneath the keeper, that XG was 0.3, which is obviously very good. Effectively, he scores one in three times, effectively. And the other result was half that, roughly. So that's a visual indicator of what expected goals looks like. It's not a perfect model. I don't think anybody says it. And you have to compare it with what you're watching. Because obviously last season, a lot of people who aren't Pompey fans looked at the stats and went, why is why are they saying that Kane Jacket should be sat to the t- tactics of bilge? Because they looked at the expected goals and went, oh, Portsmouth was second. No, you have to compare it with what you're watching and uh, use both, use it in context. And then, yeah, and then you can use it properly. And uh, and Portsmouth's XG sites are good this season, and we'll go on to that a little bit later on. Yeah, no, looking good. Moving on to the Fleetwood game, and we won't spend quite as much time on this one, Freddie, because let's be honest, it wasn't really that action-packed in, in con- comparison to the game against Ipswich, but one person who had a little lively game was the referee. Like, Alan Young, what a, what, a, what a referee he is as well. Alan oh. Young. Um, I hope that's the last time I ever see him refereeing at Fratton Park. The man was clueless. What was he doing? And how did he manage to lose control so badly, Freddie, in that first half? Oh, I, I hate blaming the referee for ruining games. I think it's overused by angry football fans on uh, usually phone co- on uh, phone in radio shows but I'm sorry it was one of the worst perform- refereeing performances of Fran Park I've seen in a while it was dreadful He, had, even though he was giving he was giving fouls for every little thing and even though he gave lots of fouls and gave lots of bookings there was no control whatsoever none it was obvious that Fleetwood was set up to frustrate Portsmouth and uh, Portsmouth performances were, were okay but after half an hour, you could tell that they were a pissed off with the fact that the referee the referee was awful, and b that the Fleetwood players were in their face from the first minute. The masters of the dark arts kept on niggling them off the ball and so on. Yeah, it was awful, <laughs> and I wasn't surprised that there were, there were God knows how many yellow cards. From, from memory, there were about seventeen fouls in the first half, and. That's amazing, how many, how, and how can a referee not have control of that game? It's, it was unbelievable. And there were eight yellow cards. Eight, which That's is bonkers. mental for a game. And you've got to say that Joey Barton, I'm going to say this now, I'm calling you out, mate, because you can play good football at Fleetwood. 
you're capable of it usually. You know, Fleet would have been a good team. Decent side set up. He knew Not some good players. Ca- Callum, Callum Camps, excellent yep. player. Yep, he knew that. He thought that their second best. So he went down, instead of trying to play their game and try and win the game, he went down the dirty tactics of deciding to try and rough us up, intimidate us off the ball. He had no, no sort of like strategy to play a proper football game. Probably knew Alan Young, you know, probably pals from him. But no, I'm joking. But but seriously, that's what happened. He went out there and thought, oh, I was going to frustrate Portsmouth. We're not going to beat them on a level playing field. And it ended up with a point, a point apiece. But the second half really, really was dull, wasn't it? It was really dreadful. Poor. The only few, there was only two things that you could point out from that second half. A, the referee not knowing what the back pass law was, because obviously the Fleetwood centre at the seven and a half knees it to the goalkeeper, and you can hear the crowd go up try, trying to sort of con the referee into making a mistake. And he and he blows his whistle, hangs his head as if he has no idea what the back pass rule was, as if the world was going to sit, it was going to sink in, in, into him or something. I think we've all been in there at work when we've done something incredibly stupid and your brain's gone, but come on. You have to know what the back post rule is. And according to the laws of the game, point 12, section two, you can pass, uh, the keeper can handle the ball when a defender passes back to him. If they pass back to him with anything that's not the foot. So if, you, if, you, if you're listening, Alan Young, there you are. That's the little point that you're taking to your next game. And also the fact, I think the only other thing, uh, Craig McGilvery, man of the match for me, as well as the uh, Fleetwood goalkeeper, Lightweiler, he had an excellent game as well. He, he made a ridiculous save from a, a, a Marcus Harness deflected cross that looked as if, it, it took a wicked deflection, it looked as if it was going to nestle into the bottom corner. Um, he made a very good save and Craig McGilvery made an excellent save when I think Paddy Madden got it on the edge of the penalty area, passed it to the right winger. McGilvery closed off the gap and he made a stunning point bank save in the second half as well. So he's showing he's taken a number one shirt after the first game of the season and he's kept it. There's no, no one's going to replace him. Nobody. No. Although if you do want to go and read an article on Alex Bass, head to the website pompeynewsnow.com. Written by Mark Doherty. It's very good. And it basically goes into details about how it's not the end of the world that Alex Bass isn't getting the playing time now. He will still improve under a very good goalkeeper and he'll get his opportunities when he deserves them. So read that at pompeynewsnow.com. Cool. Right, let's move on from the boring old Fleetwood game. I'm just going to quickly talk about some of the notes we saw from the Tony Goodall fan conference because a few things popped up and I'm going to, we're not going to go through loads of them, Freddie, but one thing I do want to talk about is the academy. Now, me and you have been talking about this from a point of view. We've been hammering this drum. Yes, you've been on your high horse in the comments. Every single, every single monthly Q&A, Mark Catlin, will we get a development squad every That's time? Right. That's right, Mark. And unfortunately, I wasn't there to ask this question, but somebody did ask a question about the academy and said, are there any exciting young players coming through? Well, if you've listened to this podcast, we spoke to quite a few of them already, and yes, there are a lot uh, coming through. But Harry Kavner, Mark Catlin loves you, mate, because you are the person that he signed out. He said, there are many good players at the academy. Agree. I like Harry Kavner. Nice one. Yeah, I think it's a ledge as well. But what he did come to point out was many clubs are opting to close down their academy. Birmingham have announced it, following away, following on from Brentford and Huddersfield. That's not a route the club's going down. If the salary cap remains in place, we would look to invest in another club or a development squad if we're left with a surplus of money to spend. Now, it's worth pointing out, I think Pompey were a couple of million pounds um, over what the cap was effectively in wages. So you'd have that money basically to invest, apart from COVID, obviously, this is going to go forward in the future. 
you'd have this money to invest in a development squad. Now, just quickly, Freddie, I know that Pompey will need to have a new training ground effectively or somewhere else for the development squad to play, which I think is probably the real reason why this development squad's being held up. It's based on facilities and investment in facilities, not about the, the ethos, because Mark Catlin told us at the end of last season he didn't really believe in development squads when I pressed him on it. He wants to use the loan model. What we want to use here, mate, is a fusion between the loan model and the development squad because you are able to loan players from your development squad to other clubs as well. Imagine it, yeah. <laughs> um, with with um, youth players, I don't think there should be a cap on how much you should spend or what facilities should be made available. You should use every opportunity at your exposure uh, at your disposal, rather, to put into your academies and youth players especially since Portsmouth are looking at a salary cap. I'll go on to another point quickly and reference it. So this will put into your mind why we care about this academy thing so much. There was the EFL bailout <clears throat> where League One and League Two clubs are getting £200 million. You can look elsewhere of what the details are of that money. Uh, it was said that from these notes, which you can read at pompeynewsnow.com, that that bailout was uh, positive. They really like the amount of money they're getting. But they they are still even with even though fans are coming back in, it's only two thousand. They're not getting the seventeen and a half, eighteen thousand that Fratton Park usually gets. Portsmouth will that they said somewhere Portsmouth will lose roughly. It's estimated five to six million pounds. That's according to Tony Brown. That's a lot of money, especially for Portsmouth at League One level, considering in the previous years they were making pro, they were making uh, net profits due to player sales and cut runs. With the cut, with the cut money going down the drain, I've looked into this. The money is probably about half of what it was. The FA Cup money was slashed in half, so it doesn't matter. Ports will get to the fifth round. The money that they're making is nowhere near what it was, and you don't even have the attendances either to offset that. The EFL Trophy money is basically the the pocket, basically the equivalent of my loose pub money in my pocket. It's nothing, and. You don't even get. You're not even getting the Wembley if you get there with a full full crowd. Probably we had, they haven't even sorted out last season's trophy either. So with all that in mind, Portsmouth are potentially going to lose six million pound this season. Now, obviously, it's a big ask to ask them to invest in new facilities if they're losing five to six million pounds this season. But with the salary cap in place and probably in place. We don't know how long it's going to be in place for. It might be in place next season, then they take it away if Portsmouth are promoted, or they might. It might be a permanent fixture. They might keep it for for the rest of the existence. That means that players like Jack Watmore, Tom Naylor, those those sorts of players who are on good money and they're getting the money that they deserve for being good footballers at League One level and have potential to play at Championship level as well they're not going to sign a new contract because Portsmouth are limited to by, by the salary cap, so they can't sign to what they're worth. So they'll go somewhere else. Whether it's they, they, they could go anywhere else. If they get a championship club, they can go to Belgium, etc. So if Portsmouth are not spending that money on players because they can't, and it doesn't matter how many fans they get through the gate when everything goes back to normal, the youth academies have to be a priority, don't they? There's no way around it. The youth academy, the development squad, and finding as many opportunities as possible to get these players playing regularly, 
improve, improving as human beings and as footballers and essentially making it, making the side even better and making them more susceptible to whatever weird changes we're going to see soon. Yeah, and if I was a parent with a kid who was an amazing footballer, I would want to see there was a clear route at that club to them be having the potential past 18 to be in a development squad, to be valued past that point, not a have you made it to the first team, if you haven't, you're out, or a few of them are remains. You need to get a, a stepping stone place between there that shows that you develop these young players and then you've got them and then you you know you value them. And and that that's what you have to do, really. And as we know as well, with the um with the squad restrictions on sizes as well, with the salary cap. Players under the age of 21 do not need to be registered on the player list as well, which means that these players are invaluable um, to have around the team. So, yeah, the model needs to change, and I'm sure the club are working. That's where you're going to get your squad debt from. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing the old model, which is either spending too much money on free agents that are rubbish just because you need a second, you need to cover it right back or wherever, or you get a promising talent on loan, and they complain that they're second choice because obviously because you because you prioritize the talent that you have permanently signed up and then they leave and you get another player in on loan you cannot rely on that at all and i would be very frustrated for a youth player at portsmouth if they get to 18 yes they might not be ready for league 1 football but they might be ready for national league football national league south football at 18 and then once they get that experience, they, they get to leave, ready to, for League Two football, etc. It's a gradual process. Not every youth player that Portsmouth will have will be like Hadji Madoga, where they've had England, where they've had England youth caps, and where they look like they could be in the side already. It's unrealistic to think that completely. And you have to, and the only way to get around it is you have to put your money where your mouth is. The club has to put their money where their mouth is. They have to give all the opportunities for a young player to develop and to get better and to potentially being the side. Because that's what the fans want. The fans love the fact that Portsmouth have a lot of local boys in the side. Jack Walmore and Ben Close for one, to name a few. They mentioned this, Michael Eisner mentioned this, sustainable, sustainable ownership, brick by brick, they said. If it, You have to put your money where your mouth is now with brick by brick. There has to be a development squad and there has to be a route for young players to get the uh, development that they deserve. Not every player is going to improve simply by being loaned to Bodner Regis. Some will, <laughs> some won't. And they said that, they, that they're looking at maybe, maybe links with another club, like an affiliate club or whatever. I would love that if Ports have had an agreement with a National League South club or a National League club, not not to turn them into a B team or whatever, but to just loan them to one or two players so they can get experience at Conference League level football. Because Conference League level football is surprisingly good if you don't watch it. Well, Aldershot. Exactly. That'd be a local club. Yeah, we've named one already. Yeah, there you are. That's that's just Um, a, a suggestion. But yeah, mate, absolutely. Pompey got to make steps to do that. And when they say brick by brick, this is one of the first bricks you need to lay as a foundation for the club. So... Get it out, get it sorted. But. They also mentioned that in that point that teams were closing down their academy. You had an opinion on this. 
Yeah, well, they're saying closing down the academy, but at the same time, they you know they mentioned Brentford and etc. But Brentford have an amazing development side, um, and so the Birmingham are talking about having one potentially two um, development sides as well in place of the academy. So they're looking to recruit players because they understand the importance of having players between the ages of eighteen and twenty three as being the most critical element in and how you bring young players through and how you eventually get a sustainable team. So. It's not that they're closing down all their youth academies and and nobody in particular, for instance, is um and you know, youth football's not valid and development squads aren't valid. They're just investing in a certain way. I mean, I think you need to keep the academy as well as have a, a development squad, personally. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. the method forward. You need a full cycle. That's how that's how everything works, and you production or whatever. Especially and that's how every that's how every successful sports team is. Yeah, and you sport. can't get promoted, can you? You can't get promoted to the championship, mate, and not have a development team because you know, Otherwise, how are we going to pick off all the Sunderland youngsters when we get promoted and uh, <laughs> steal them into our squad and put them into the development squad? That sort of thing needs to happen. We need a development squad. Anyway, let's move on. Um, and okay. we will keep on hounding that point. <laughs> we will. People are get bored of it, but we'll, we'll I don't keep care. Keep hounding it. <laughs> okay, mate. Let's move on quickly. Um, I was going to talk about a few other articles on the website. People, go and check it out. We've got some stuff. We mentioned the Alex Bass stuff. And we've also got some articles on Jordi Harula. Should be making it breaking into the first team. And uh, Freddie, what else was there to talk about? There was an article by Geoff Taylor about uh, John Marquis, how he's improved this season and goes into more detail about the quantity, quality of chances he's getting. I wrote about Jordi Harula, compared him to... The current, the current crop of wingers that we have, uh, uh, um, it, that went down very well on Twitter, so I might do a follow-up comparing him to Marquis and Harrison as well. And some were saying that he should have come on against Fleetwood. I think he, he should have done for a quarter of an hour. He's improving gradually. And if Ports were signing to the end of the season, I wouldn't bat an eyelid at all. Great depth player. Showed great character to be able to actually give a damn because he hasn't had that much football. And he's turning his career around at Portsmouth, surprisingly. So check check all of those articles out at pompeynewsnow.com. And if I get my head together and sort everything out, there'll be more articles on there in the future as well. Yep, so check it out. And Freddie's uh, our sort of chief editor there. So, Freddie, it's up to you, mate. To it's an it, amazing it thing to for the people organize to, everything, to Organise everything and, get, and uh, yeah, get everything sorted on there because because we want this to be really good and we want another place for people to read more about the club that they love and uh, all the articles are doing very well and if the if the fans keep reading it we'll keep writing them so yeah so yeah keep giving checking them out and uh, again free honest well written analytics so hey where else can you get that about Portsmouth and okay you and you don't have five adverts over the top of them <laughs> Let's get on to our guest interview here. Let's think about Hull. Let's focus on this now, Freddie. Catherine Batty, yep, from the Daily Mail Sport, um, spoke to her. She's also a massive Hull fan, so she knows her stuff, Freddie. An actual journalist coming on the podcast. Sorry, George Ellick, but, you know, I'm counting her as the first one. So, and also, one thing to mention, Sheffield University alumni, journalism school, which I went to as well. So always nice for more representation on there to be on. Yeah, shout out. And it's good to see someone do well from Sheffield University, Freddie. But um... <laughs> behave. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into a really cool interview now with um, Catherine Batty from the Daily Mail Sport. Cool. So I'm here joined by Catherine Batty from the Mail Sport and Hull, massive super fan. How are you? 
Yeah, well, I'd, I'd be feeling better if Hull hadn't got beaten by Blackpool, but, um, you know, on to, on to the next one, as they say. Absolutely no shame in beaten by Blackpool, coming from a Pompey <laughs> fan here. Um, I thought they were one of the best teams, actually, we've, we've played this season, and uh, at 50-1, to one, we're a pretty good bet, actually, I feel, to get promoted. But anyway, back onto stuff. So this is our start right at the beginning. Hull, last season, looked pretty good for the first half of the season, lost a couple of key players. And then ended up sinking down and down and down the table. What happened at the end of the last season? And what was the feeling around the club at the start of this season? Well, uh, yeah, you mentioned us losing losing the two key players. And that was kind of the the point where everything went wrong. Um, take away the two, the two players that score your goals, Jared Bowen. We relied so heavily on him. Um, and, and even when he was still here, if he didn't score, we, we usually didn't win. And um, we also obviously lost Kamal Grzycki, who provided a lot of assists for him and, and also chipped in with a couple of goals um, as well. And we brought in a couple of people on loan. Mal- Malik Wilkes got a few goals towards the end of the season, but it just wasn't wasn't the same quality as what we had before. And we once we got into a rut, we just didn't know how to get out of it. And um, even the gap with, with lockdown, we thought... We'd we'd go went into lockdown having lost the first the last game five nil at Stoke, who were obviously down the bottom with us. And we thought, right, a long break will do us good. Maybe we can um change things around when we come back. But uh, we got worse and uh, yeah, just spiralled and spiralled. How did you take that into the start of this season then? Because obviously it, I'm guessing it must have been a bit of a negative feel around the club and you know the way you got relegated. What what were the fans' expectations for the start of this season? Did you think that the fans think, right, that's it, we're going straight back up again? It was tricky. I think um I think there was an expectation that there was enough in the squad to definitely be be challenging at the top of the table. Um I think there was question marks over the manager over whether um, he should still be in a job. Um, but he has obviously got experience in League One. And um, once it was clear he was going to be staying, I think it was kind of a feeling of, right, we have got, you know, some quality players here. And if we can start well, you know, we've got a chance of, of challenging. But I wouldn't say that people would expect would expected us to have been been top sort of come, come Christmas. But um, whether we will still be top come Christmas, I don't know. <laughs> Or top come Saturday. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for me, for me, I, I, I did predict Hull to be up there in League One, but one of the things that made me dissuaded me from thinking they would get promoted was the ownership model. Because I read, I think it was in the Athletic, talking about the Alam family, talking about how a lot of the fans weren't happy with them. Did that is is that still playing in the minds of some of the fans at the moment, or are they happy with the ownership in general? I think well, fans haven't been happy with it for a long time. It's it's funny you mention actually. It's it's ten years to the day since they um, since they bought the club um, to sit, to try and you know save it from going into League One. And ten years later, they've got a club in League One. So um, it obviously started very well under them. We got you know they brought Steve Bruce in as manager, had a couple of promotions, um, two games in Europe, and then obviously disagreements with the fans over trying to change the name and. Um, just you know the way they kind of handled the club after that relationship soured has obviously um, not gone down well. But I think the problem we have now is that there's, we've not really got any way of getting rid of them, especially in the in the current climate. So we just have to kind of pop with them until um, 
it would be possible for you know if if, if a buyer comes along, but I, I don't see that happening while we're in the in the situation that we're in. Um, and obviously, with fans not really being able to attend the games as well, we can't you know make our our voices heard like they kind of have done in the past. Not that I think it would make much of a difference, but um, the the ownership now I think it, it's a strange one. I mean, they're not gonna plough loads of money in. They didn't. They didn't, you know, spend massively in the summer. Um, spent a little bit, you know. We brought a couple of free signings in, a couple, you know, a couple of hundred grand on a few players. Um, whether we'll sign anyone in January for a fee, um, I think is unlikely. Um, and obviously now with League One, you've got the salary cap as well, so it, that kind of makes it harder to to bring people in. But um, I think they they want to sell the club, but where a buy is going to come from anytime soon, I'm, I'm not sure. No, precisely. Given the current climate, I don't see many uh, many clubs being bought by owners of high repute. You only have to look at Wigan and how that turned out. But um, that is funny. It, 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 you mentioned the salary cap, and of course, if whole city don't get promoted this season, the salary cap properly kicks in because um, previously players who, even if they got relegated, even if they're on, they have um, a wage reduction, even if they're on championship money. That won't be the case for a lot of new players coming in. Is that a worry then? Um, if, for example, whole season don't, don't get promoted, would that be a major worry if it stays in the league for the foreseeable? I think I think so for us because um, although you could you could perhaps argue we are one of the, the bigger clubs in in League One in terms of uh, recently relegated from from the Championship and the, and the Premier League, the the difficulty we always have, and we had it when we we're in the Premier League as well, is that it's very difficult to convince people to come and live in Hull, despite us being City of Culture in 2017. Um, it's still not particularly an, an attractive place to come, and um, if it's a choice between Hull and, and Portsmouth, for example. Um, People might, you know, players might prefer to to go down there and be down south. So um, it, it it would be tricky, I think. But um, just hopefully, hopefully we're not in that position. But there we are. <laughs> it's interesting you said about attracting players because um, I've spoken to um, a couple of CEOs of Southern clubs, we say, in the league, and their concerns are actually more about the price of living um, coming to a club in the south. So playing in London or in Portsmouth, for instance, as a player you only get a certain amount of money uh, per week, should we say. Now, if you're going to spend all that money living in London on, on rent or, or same sort of thing in the South, actually, those CEOs are actually more concerned that going to somewhere like Hull, actually, might be a much more attractive um, proposition for a young footballer who then has all that disposable income that they can actually spend. So I suppose it actually maybe it'll work in your favour actually you'll find out in in the sort of medium to long term and I don't really know much about how to be honest from a demographic point of view Ever but I know that's really nice I know, sure. I know that much since my grandma's from there we'll take that. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean there's places that anywhere around that you can commute to anyway but okay yeah cool I'm just looking at the team now um, and the first name that stood out to me is George Honeyman um, I was a big fan of his when he played at Sunderland I thought he wasn't used very well there to be honest and he seems to be anchoring the centre of your midfield in, in a 4-3-3 sort of formation is he the playmaker that Pompey needs to look out for the guy who's going to get that cut passes he's got I think he's got five assists this season isn't he is it a case to stop George Honeyman potentially stop Hull yeah I, th- I think so yeah um he didn't play against Blackpool I think um the manager said he had a, had a tight hamstring so 
Um, it, it's it's still probably touch and go as to whether he whether he'll be fit or not. But now our Boxing Day game at Sunderland's been cancelled. I, I would think he would be desperate to try and push him to to make him ready for Friday with him having um, been able to have a rest afterwards. But yeah, he's he's probably been our best best player this season um, in terms of creating things in that midfield. He's got uh, Richie Smallwood alongside him and and Greg Dockersy who aren't really creators. So everything does kind of come through George. Um, takes corners as well. With, I think I think this said last night we've scored the most goals in the league from from corners which is mad because we've uh, historically been rubbish at scoring from corners but um mm. we've scored a few and and George George puts a good ball into the box um and he's he's just um he's a high energy player as well so he gets back and and can make tackles and yeah I'd, I'd say definitely he's he's the one to watch if we can we can get him fit for Friday are you talking about set pieces there? I'm, I was looking at you know, at the stats, and um, I mean these these stats are pretty loose from who scored, but it says that you've got 15 goals from open play in the league and 12 from set pieces. So um, that's pretty that's pretty similar. Most of those from from corners, as you mentioned, or you know you've had some dangerous free kicks, or you know what should we really watch out for? Yeah, a couple of corners and yeah, a couple of couple of free kicks. I think um, probably probably a, a mix of both. Um, we've got Callum Elder who he takes the ones on the um, on the right, swings it in with his left foot, and um, George George takes the other side, and George usually takes the the free kicks as well. Um, I think Keen Lewis Potter's got a couple of goals, headed goals from from set pieces as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's tended to be a bit of a mix. You mentioned him already. Um... What <clears throat> one of the stand-up players for Hull that I know this season, Lewis Potter, coming through the youth academy. How how integral is he to Hull, Hull City play on a regular basis? Yeah, he's um, yeah he was one of the best players at, at the start of the season. Um, he had a, he had to go into isolation a few weeks ago, um, and he missed he missed the victory at Ipswich, which put us top. And since then, I don't think he started. A league game, and um, we, we, we as fans were kind of wondering if he'd sort of been put on the naughty step by the manager. Um, and he was asked about obviously last night he didn't play. Uh, well, he came off the bench, and uh, Grant McCann said the reason why he's not playing is because he's not yet agreed a new contract. Um, which I'm not really sure is is a, a great idea to kind of put into the the public domain. Um, it, it doesn't really help the situation. So whether he'll actually start on on Friday, I'm not sure. Um, I can't imagine he'd be too happy with that sort of being being put out. And um, I'm not really sure. Not playing one of your best forwards because he won't sign a new contract is is a great way of getting him to sign a new contract. But um, I I, re- I think the fans the fans really love Keane. He's he's a local lad, um, and you always want to see you know players from from your own city come into the team and do well. Um, hopefully, he can start on Friday. But the manager's a funny one. If you, if you cross him, I think um, he can he can get a bit annoyed and leave you out. That sounds absolute madness to me. Absolutely madness. Not not playing him because he's not signed a new contract. I mean, first of all, you've got the salary cap. So we're looking at players like Tom Naylor, our captain in the centre, uh, Jack Watmore. These guys' contracts are actually up you know, in the summer. But saying you need those guys to get you to the championship and then you can offer them a contract that they're going to accept. Because at the moment, you must not quite know what sort of money you can offer these players. Yeah, and I think I think the, the manager said it was. I think financially they're there. The, the issue is um, they want to add in the option of an extra deal. So I assume it's a, a two-year contract with the option of a third. And I think um, said him and his agent 
don't want the the option of the the extra year which you can understand because your contract then just gets triggered you know extended without you know and you having any say over it but it's something that a lot of clubs do and it's something that our owners are very keen on doing every time we sign a player and every time we we offer someone a new contract they've always got that option of an extra year uh we did it with Jared Bowen and obviously it it worked with us getting a big fee for him um but I think when we've got a player like Keenan he's you know he's such an integral player and he's young as well you're cutting off your nose to you know to fight yourself aren't you it's um you need him in the team even even while the negotiations are going on so I, I yeah it's 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 a classic like move that makes no sense that only Hull could could do when you're top of the league well well at Portsmouth we do know <laughs> there, there have been some circumstances where the manager has gone over and above to annoy his players so 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 we, we are used to that I'm looking at Hull City's back four. Very solid. Hull have got one of the best ratings for expected goals against and goals against in general. They're third in the table for expected goals against with only 15.9 and they've conceded roughly about that. One of the players I noticed is Louis Coyle from Fleetwood. I wanted Portsmouth to sign him originally at right back and considering we've got players like Ronan Curtis on that left-hand side and if Marquis starts on the left-hand side up front, the link-up play is really good. How well have you rated uh, Coyle this season? And do you think um, he can potentially stop Ronan Curtis cutting on his right foot and creating all those chances? Um, well, it's a strange one with Coyle because, again, he's he's from Hull um, and we signed, we signed him from Fleetwood. And I think he probably would have been first choice right back at the start of the season, but he pulled his hamstring. I think it was he pulled his hamstring at the start. Uh, we also signed Josh Emanuel in the summer. So he started the season at right back and it's been you know fantastic um so it's been difficult for Kyle to actually get in the team he's played the odd odd league game and then he, he got injured again um and came back in um has played all the cup games and he's yeah he started against Blackpool um did okay but I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Emmanuel comes back into the team for for Friday um just because he offers us a bit more attacking wise I think Kyle is probably the stronger defender um perhaps more solid than than Emmanuel but Emmanuel um has been, you know, really good in terms of getting down the wing and creating chances. And um, I, I, w- I would expect him to probably start, come back into the team and start on Friday. But uh, yeah, we like we like Louis Coyle here again, and a, a local lad. Um, it's just a shame for him that he he obviously had that injury at the start. And I, I still think the manager probably wants him as the first choice. And it's a similar situation with the goalkeeper. George Long probably would have started as the season as first choice goalkeeper. Um, was injured and Matt Ingram started and I feel you feel like the manager's just kind of waiting for them to make a mistake to just sort of swap them swap them back to put his favourite one in but um, Emmanuel's kind of not done that and neither's, neither's Matt Ingram so they've kind of been been the two starters. I think what I'm concerned about looking at um, Emmanuel at right back Malik Wilkes in front of him obviously attacking quick you know likes to dribble likes to shoot come inside very similar to someone like to like Ronan Curtis on that on that lethal sort of streak um, then you've got Elder, a left back. Um, again, he's got five assists, I think, this season. He he's he likes to put a great ball into the box. He can obviously offer that overlap, if possible, over Ram Potter as well. I th- I'm a bit concerned, Freddie. This looks a little bit like the situation we have with Blackpool, where effectively Pompey might get stuck in a situation where we're sitting so deep with our fullbacks to try and cope with the the quick fullbacks of Hull coming forward that we end up getting sunk deeper into into our 
into our half as such because we're scared of the pace maybe out wide of of, of Hullis and such. How do Hull approach the game in this sense? Are they going to try and get the ball? Um, you've got 49% possession, so I assume you don't just knock it round lots. Do you try and get the ball forward quickly to these quick players, offer them support and attack that way? Yeah, that, that's kind of how we've we've tended to approach we've approached games. Like you say, we don't we don't tend to kind of dominate possession and sort of play it sideways um, to, to one another. Um, we've we've struggled when when teams have actually pressed us um, pressed us really high and put us under pressure. Um, Oxford did it um, and obviously got a point against us in the last two teams. Shrewsbury and Blackpool have done the same and, and beaten us. Um, so we actually seems to do worse when when teams press higher up so you you I would say you're probably better pressing high rather than rather than sitting back and and letting us kind of dictate things um as you see obviously with the, with the full backs they do like to get forward the problem is sometimes the the wingers don't get back to to cover them and that's how we conceded the goal yesterday where Callum Eldred put a great ball into the box nothing got made of it he was you know, not quick enough getting back, and no one had no one had come across to cover for him, and they put a ball in and, and scored. So um, we could get caught that way as well with our with our attacking fullback. So it, it, yeah, it probably it might depend on on how you approach the game as to as to how we kind of respond as well. Catherine's had a very interesting point there about <clears throat> the press being one of the major factors that Portsmouth would have to deal with because they can't play like they did against Blackpool with. Andy Cannon and Tom Naylor, effectively two box-to-box midfielders at this point. If they sit very deep to try and protect the back four and the fullbacks aren't given the licence to get forward, it doesn't matter if we play a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1. Uh, we, we won't get any possession high, which is one of the key things. And I think Black, that Blackpool result was a blessing in disguise in that regard. It, it taught Kenny what not to do in, in, in that sort of setup. But you know what he's like. He he is a defensive first manager after all. So we hope that he doesn't do that. I want to talk a bit more about Malik Wilkes doing very well so far. What sort of striker is he? And do you think he'll be up there with some of the top goal scorers in the league? Yeah, you summed him up quite well earlier. He's, he's a guy that likes to come in and, and cut in on his left foot and shoot, um, run out players. Um he can be quite frustrating at times and sometimes he'll, he'll get into a position and not, not quite know what to do and, and take too long to, to make a decision and end up sort of giving the ball away. Um, and then other times he's been he's been brilliant and uh, he scored a good goal last night, but there were, there were other occasions where he just kind of thought like decision-making just wasn't quite there. Um, it just it just kind of depends what mood he's in. Like, I mean, he's had some games this season away from home where he's sort of been anonymous almost um and then he's had games you know against Ipswich where he's kind of been the main man and you know he's he's got up players and, and scored some great goals so depends what Malik turns up hopefully it's the one that fantasy scoring a couple of goals yeah I've got quite a lot of friends who are actually Barnsley fans um, and they were quite interested to see how Malik Wilkes is playing they said to me before and I don't know if this is your assessment as well but because of how streaky he is he, they feel like his level is much more at league one and if he could if he could play to that consistent level of you know his high level consistently anyway they feel like he'd be actually be a decent threat in the championship so it We'll have to see if Malik Wilkes, the Malik Wilkes, turns up to play against us. And I think maybe being a little bit frustrating on that side and just getting at him a bit and frustrating him might might help. I don't know if that's the case, but from what I've heard, maybe just rough him up a bit and see if they can um, get him playing off his game. Um, all right, then let's uh, let's move on. Freddie, have you got any more questions in particular you wanted to ask? 
Uh, no, I think that's everything. Yeah, I think we covered all the main bases. I think we covered it. Right, let's let's get right to the end. Score prediction time. It's always a tricky one, you know. And let's be honest, me and Freddie are rubbish at this, so absolutely no pressure at all. I think I've got one right this season, but Pompey Hull, what's your score prediction? Well, I think I I've got to be I've got to be optimistic and and go for a whole win. Um, but I, I, I can see us conceding. Um, I, re- I reckon Marcus will score just because he, he played under Grant at Doncaster, and it, 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 I don't expect Grant to properly like tell his players what to expect from him because you would think Grant knows him really well, should be able to stop him scoring, so that means he'll probably score. Um, I'll go for Hull to win two one. I'm not particularly confident of that, but I'm just thought I should probably go for Hull to win. Like it. You are confident, really. You're very modest at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Catherine, it's been amazing having you on the podcast. Um, thanks. Um, tell people where they can find you. Um, yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter at Catherine Batty, um, spelt with an E at the end rather than a Y, just to confuse people. But um, I'm sure if you search for it hard enough, you'll find me. <laughs> and awesome. what sort of stuff do you do for the Daily Mail as well? Um, yeah it's a range of a range of things really it's uh, cover all kind of sports news and then um do a lot of the women's football coverage in the wsl as well so uh nice nice little mix of, of things thankfully i don't have to cover whole very often <laughs> you can keep you can separate that then the yeah. heart and the head of work yeah I'm just talking about that in my own time <laughs> yeah I don't think you're going to be torturing yourself. I think you're going to be doing pretty well this season. So maybe unlike last season, you're going to get a bit of bounce. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, cheers for coming on the podcast. It's really appreciated. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, I'll, I'll, hopefully we'll both both get promoted at the end of the season. Yeah, why not? I reckon that will happen. I reckon that will happen. <laughs> yeah. Third team, well, um, maybe like um, Sunderland and Peterborough going out in the first round of the playoffs, you know, just so yeah. we can have a good old laugh. Accrington to get promoted with us. Why not? Let's throw that in there. <laughs> as long as we're not playing each other in the playoffs, then then that'll be fine. Top two. Oh God! No, no. you want that. You want that. <laughs> we are rubbish in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. like, a lot of people I know, from friends of mine who are Sunderland fans, are like, right, it's so what we can get you lot in the playoffs again. You know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, cool. Cheers again. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. See you. See. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey. Thanks, Catherine, for coming on the podcast. And, mate, I think I've actually got a little bit more of an understanding now, really, on how Hull set up tactically and what Pompey really need to do to come away with a point or three points at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Catherine mentioned the press as one of the key components. It was the key components in the Ipswich game, and it has to be now. Um, this is a big game. Probably, even though it's 17 games into the season, this is the biggest game that Portsmouth have and will have for a while. This is the sort of game that, that defines whether Portsmouth are an automatic promotion team or not. Is Kenny Jacket a good manager or not? Are the, are the players... Do the players have the quality to play at championship level? Yes or no. And these are the sorts of games that Portsmouth have to get a positive result out of there. Yes, Hull, Hull City are a good side and they've got a lot of options that they can call upon. Lewis Potter, Wilkes, Emmanuel at right back, Honeyman in the middle, who I really rate. But um, Portsmouth simply have to play the game that they have been for a while now. Setting up in that 4-4-2, not being scared of the overlapping fullbacks having Cannon and Naylor being the proper box-to-box midfielders that they are, 
being able to give them license to go forward, but also knowing their responsibilities to mop up everything and giving the fullbacks license to go forward when it matters, when it counts, and not just aimlessly crossing the ball into the penalty area to nobody. That all has to uh, maintain and continue in this game. And it's going to be a very, otherwise it'll be a very tough watch. Yeah, massively. I've got a feeling this is going to be a tough one. When we looked at the the game against Blackpool, Hull set up very similar. So what's going to happen, in my opinion, is can Kenny Jacket take on the learnings from the Blackpool game? Is he is he going to be like, wait a second, I've seen this sort of thing before, a 4-3-3, very attacking quick wingers, fullbacks who like to get forward. We've seen this sort of game before. Can Kenny Jacket go, right, we need a different approach that we had at Blackpool? I can see two things happening, Freddie. We see the Pompey team return up against Ipswich, yeah? And we do well. We press, we come forward, and everyone here listening to this podcast is going to be happy, no matter what the results are, a certain level. Or the Blackpool team turns up and we look impotent. And if that happens, then I'm much more worried if the rest of the season, Freddie, because that shows that we're not learning from the uh, mistakes, potentially, of the past. Precisely, yeah, precisely. I think we've gone over that. It's going to be yeah. a very, very tough game. There's also the curse of it being the TV game, which is never ideal. And Hull are an exceptional side. They're a very defensive first side skill with the ability to score goals. Their expected goals against is 15.9 and they've only conceded 16. So they're not conceding more goals than they should do. They're third in the league for that defensive record compared to Portsmouth being mid-table. Portsmouth have actually conceded 20 goals, 15 and their XGA is 20.35. Basically, that means Portsmouth are conceding less than they should do from a defensive standpoint. A lot of that is down to Craig McGilvery and his excellent saves and some of the last guys defending we've seen. So Portsmouth have to focus on what they're good at, which is going forward. They have they have to focus on that fluid front four with the rest of the team supported behind them. Yep, exactly, Freddie. And um, one sec, uh, someone messaged in, Chris Harris has tweeted me and said, a shocking youth team set up. Invest or the club continues to struggle. Pitiful. Well, Chris, I hope you enjoyed our analysis earlier on. Freddie, <laughs> let's get let's get into it, mate. Score prediction time. Pompey versus Hull. Oh, tough one. I'm going positive, though. Yes, Hull can score, but Portsmouth can, sc- can outscore them. I'm going for 2-1 Portsmouth with John Marquis and Ryan Williams scoring. We've we've keen Lewis Potter scoring for them. I love that. <laughs> We're going to get that. Okay, I'm also going to go for a two-one, which is what made me stumble there. But I'm going to go with a, a Marquis goal as well. But I'm going to say Curtis over Williams. I, I think it's a game. Of, I'm going to say Curtis steps up and is the big moment player instead of Malik Wilkes, who gets marked out the game. Frustrated. Both big players in the day. He's their leading scorer. Curtis can be a difference maker in big games. I'd like to see that. Let's do another shot from outside the box. There you go. Even more specific, mate. But this one's not <laughs> going to hit the bar. It's going to go in. And we're actually going to get some of our predictions right for once. We always get them right. What are you about? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Freddie, mate. Thanks for coming on the podcast again. Always a pleasure, Hugh. It's a dream having you on, mate. But until next time, play our fun. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!